Thank you, Rhonda. I always love hearing her sing. I don't, I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's your voice. You have a beautiful voice to me, but it's the heart behind the voice that I really, I really love and appreciate. That's awesome. That's awesome. And it's funny, she tells y'all to smile. That's been my one thing in the, the years that she led worship here for us, uh, was just smile. Just smile as she can get that serious face. So, but uh, we're glad that I'm so thankful for you, Rhonda, and for your heart, for what you're doing here at Dawson Street. So, June, thank you. It's funny, every time I get up to preach, y'all sing my message. The message that I feel like God puts on my heart, y'all have sang it in one way, fashion, or another. And, and so I would just want to ask God to help us to, to um, hear what he wants to say today. I've been stuck on a passage of scripture. If you want to bring in your Bibles, uh, it's 1 Corinthians 13. Um, I've been stuck on this passage for about two months now. And just, you know, I'll pick it up and I'll read it and I'll think about it and you know, my biggest thing that I've been trying to do is to slow down when I read the scriptures and to really ask the Lord to give me every bit of, of nugget of truth that he wants to give me in each passage. When I read Bible one-on-one with people, we really try to take our time and, and to really read, to just ask the Lord to speak to us. And so I want to share just a few things this morning briefly about what, and I do pray briefly, what... Um, um, what I think God's telling me, because there's so much there, but I just want to share a couple of little things uh, about it in First Corinthians. But let's pray. Father, thank you so much for just the incredible privilege to be here with your people. God, you have faithfully shown up at Dawson Street time and time again over the years. And Father, I pray that we won't take that take advantage of that or take that for granted, but God, that we would just be amazed that you choose to show up in spite of us. And so God, I pray that you would you would share the word that I know that you put on my heart to your people. God, that they would hear your words, not my words. God, that they would feel and sense your heart, not my heart. And God, that they would, it would minister to them where they are at. Father, it would encourage them and challenge them. And Father, as a, as a body of believers, God, it would motivate us to be more intently living what we have sung about, that you are still amazing, that, um, that you still heal, you still bring hope, you still bring guidance and salvation. And God, that that would encourage us to take that message out to your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, I asked y'all earlier if you had a good Christmas. I guess my question is, is, is um, what do you like most about this time of the year, this season? What do you like most about Christmas? Music, family, presents, food. Anybody say food? We're Baptists. I know somebody's thinking food, you know. I mean, it's kind of the one time of the year, that, or I guess there's more than one time of the year, but that you can kind of eat the little things, indulge that you wouldn't normally eat, and, and it'd be okay. Um, you know, one thing I think I like the most is, is that it gives us an opportunity to really focus upon God. As Christians, we should focus upon God every day. But 
it makes for the world it seems like it's a little bit easier for us to talk about God to you know they're still singing about Christmas some people still say Christmas they're still singing songs about God at Christmas time and it seems to be uh, more focused on that I do love the music you know the music the music seems to be more joyous and 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 lighthearted and and clean even on secular radio you know it's that's uh, not a given anymore uh, but I also think I love the mood you know, it seems to be more festive. You know, we seem to be a, maybe a little bit happier. Not all of us, but maybe a majority of us a little bit happier. And just a desire to gather together. And it didn't take anybody long to spend time with me to know that I believe with all my heart that I'm better when I'm with people. That I believe we're better together. That's been, that's been our, our heart cry as a student ministry for years now. That we are better together. That I am better because I have a relationship with Jesus. I'm better because I have a relationship, I have a wife and I have children. I'm better because I have a church home. I'm so much better when I'm with all of y'all than when I am by myself. I'm so much better of a person with God than I would ever be without God. And so I love the idea that it, that it seems that's one of the things that we seem more inclined to want to gather together and to spend time together and to focus together. But I've also noticed that as I've grown that there's kind of seasons of Christmas you know, as a child, you know, I think Christmas, you maybe focus on the gifts and, and what you're going to get and giving your list to Santa and to your family and, and the mystery of how all of that works and, and the decorations and the tree. I used to love, you know, we would put lots of lights on our Christmas tree. You know, I put lots of lights on my, not lots of lights. I tried to put lots of lights on my house, but I didn't get so so many this year but you know I, I love all that and I would love to lay underneath the tree and to listen to the Christmas music and to look at the lights and to maybe look at the packages and try to guess what maybe what was in them but as I got older maybe as a youth I began to redefine what Christmas was all about you know realizing that it was about the gift of Jesus and that it was that gifts aren't the focus of Christmas. And then as an adult, I think the biggest thing that Christmas has changed for me is you focus more on the joy of giving and not receiving. You know, I remember as a child watching my parents watch us open gifts, and they would be so happy. And you were like, why are they happy? They're not opening the gift, you know. You know but now I get that. It's something about the desire that I believe God's placed in our hearts to give to people things that they, we know that they need. Or maybe even desire. And I think that's what Christmas is really all about. It's giving to others what they really need or desire. That this is the true meaning of Christmas. And I believe that God desires for it to be Christmas all year long. What do you think about that? That it's God's desire for it to be Christmas all day long. If you could um, put a title on this sermon, it would be, Can, it, can we really celebrate Christmas all year long? And I believe the answer is yes. And why? Here's how I get there is um, that everyone should have the opportunity to receive what their hearts truly long for. That's what I love about Christmas. Um, I remember seeing um, a toy chest. My grandfather one year made a toy chest for me, and I still have it. It survived me. It survived my son. It survived, it's surviving our grandkids. It's just a simple plywood toy box, but he put his name on the bottom of it, and it's got those little... Back then, you know, you didn't have all of the laser things and all that. It was the little appliques that you stuck on there. And so there's a cowboy, a Bronco 
you know, cowboy riding a horse and that kind of stuff, you know, and, and, I, and I remember the joy he had giving me that because he knew it was something that I really desired. But I believe everyone should have the opportunity to respond, to have an opportunity to respond to what they truly long for the most. And here's how I get there, is remember God created us, correct? We all don't need to go over that. God created us. In his image, God created us. And it says in Ecclesiastes that God placed a longing for more than this world can offer in the hearts of each and every one of us. It says it like this. He's planted eternity in the human heart. So in us, everyone that God created, which is all of us, he placed in us a desire for something so much more than this world will ever offer. And then he tells us, and I believe it's eternal life. You know, if it's this world is temporal, well, everything that we see will pass away. You know, it, 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 was, it, was plas- it, it was all destroyed in the flood. Now it's reserved for fire that when God says it's time, then everything will be consumed by fire. The sun will no longer shine. Why? Because Jesus will be on the scene. And so uh, it's all going to pass away. And so God's given us desire for something greater than what's in this world. And I believe it's eternity. You know, the gift of, of living forever with him, the desire to want something more than this world can offer. And he tells us this in John 13, that Jesus is the fulfillment of that longing. He says, after saying these things, Jesus looked up into heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give back to you, give glory back to you. For you give, have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. You see, I believe God's placed a longing for himself in every one of us, you know, and that that's a desire, and, and, and we should all have the opportunity to be able to respond to that. You know, we should be able to, everyone in this world deserves an opportunity to be able to respond to the amazing grace that God has for them, the love that he has for them, the peace that passes the ability to understand the the assuredness of salvation and knowing that we will spend forever with him see how does god plan on doing this giving everyone what they truly long for well see he wraps christmas up in you and me does he not we are his christmas to the wanting and to the waiting world it's in john 17 where jesus said father i'm in you and you are in me, and may they be in us as I am in you, that the world may know that you have sent me. See, I believe that it's God's desire for you and I to live in such a relationship with him that we are literally a Christmas to those that we come in contact with. What is that Christmas? The fulfillment of the desire that they have, the greatest desire they have, and that is to have a relationship with him. See, not everyone knows that they're they're desiring relationship with him. They might be trying to fulfill that desire with drugs or alcohol or performance or money or popularity or whatever it might be. But really, the longing that they're trying to fulfill is a longing for a relationship with Jesus. So how are we doing? How are we doing in following this plan of, of being Christmas to those that we come in contact with? Well, I googled that. And so, did you know that violent crimes and homicides, so I looked at three areas, morally, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, to kind of get a, a determining factor of how we're doing in our country. You know, in the, in the next couple weeks, they'll have the State of the Union, where the president will address the, the joint 
I just forgot, Congress. And he'll give a state of how he feels our country is doing. Well, here's a little state of the union of how I, I think, based upon some research that our country's doing. Did you know that, that even though it's down from the 80s, that violent crimes and homicides continue to increase every year? And did you know that, that in the last 10 years, we've averaged over 650,000 abortions in America? What about mentally and emotionally? Did you know that 18.29% of adults struggle with a mental health problem? That number, that number equals 43.7 million Americans acknowledge that in one way, form, or another that they struggle with some mental health issue. Did you know that 8.47 of adults in America report having a substance or alcohol abuse problem? Did you know that the percentage of adults reporting serious thoughts of suicide is 3.94%, which is an estimated number of 9.4 million people? 11.1% of youth ages 12 to 17 report suffering from at least one major depressive episode called an MDE in the past year. Major depression is marked by significant or pervasive feelings of sadness that are associated with suicidal thoughts and impair a young person's ability to concentrate or engage in normal activities. 7.4% of youth, or 1.8 million youth, experience severe depression. These youth experience very serious interference in school, home, and relationships. 5.13% of youth in America report having a substance abuse or alcohol problem. That's pretty serious, I would think. That's a lot of people, right? In a Christian country, that's a lot of people. Check this out spiritually. Did you know that the number of people being involved in church continues, not be, being involved in church, continues to grow every year? You know, when we did a survey probably eight years ago, we found out that 80% of the people within a five-mile ring of Dawson Street Baptist Church do not consider any church a church home. And we're supposed to be the, the, the buckle of the Bible belt, correct? Did you know that over 80% of churchgoers do not read their Bible daily? Now, if that statistic holds true, look around. Some of us aren't reading our Bible every day. You know, only 38% engage with their Bible daily. And just a little over half of the adults say that they wish that they would read their Bible more often. Only half. Only half of the believers wish that they would read their Bible more. Did you know there's also a growing group of people who are becoming dissatisfied with the church? Professing believers who no longer attend church. It seems Christmas is losing traction in our world today, and as a result, many will never be afforded the privilege of receiving the greatest gift their hearts desire. You know, the evidence, I think, is clear. Our world, our country, desperately needs the gift of Christmas. So how can there be Christmas all year long? Well, there's three ways that I would like to look at real quick. And it all is based upon 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm sure there are other ways that God shares with us in the Bible. But this is just one particular passage that's really speaking to my heart that I would just like to share with you today that, that we read over. We read it at weddings. I read it at Caleb and Stephanie's wedding in December. You know, we talk about it in marriage counseling and those types of things. But we can kind of read past it really quick and not really take the time to really look at what that means to us. It's 1 Corinthians 13, <clears throat> and he talks about how that we must truly receive 
But how can we share Christmas all year long? By truly receiving the greatest gift of our heart's desire, and that's the gift of God's love. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. See, we must truly receive the gift that God's given us, and that's the gift of his love. And when we do, I believe a couple of things will happen. And really briefly, I want to talk about these. Look at verse 7. That when we truly receive God's greatest gift, we will see him causing us One, to believe in his protection. It says, love, what? Always protects. That we'll believe Romans 8 where it says there's not anything that can separate us. Not life, not death, not illness. Nothing can separate us. A good friend of ours, Daryl Lay, is really struggling now in the hospital and has been uh, intubated and sedated for over a week now, struggling with heart issues. But his wife, Doris, is convinced that even though she's going through this difficult time, that God's love is real to her. See, she's convinced of that. We should also be seeing him causing us to trust in his character and his ability and his power. He says it always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. We should have an unwavering hope in all he's promised us. That we should endure whatever he allows to come our way. That's what, he, that's what Paul got in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, for God who said, let there, be light, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we, ought, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Though suffering, through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus, so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. See, that should be us. When we really receive the gift of the greatest, the gift that we desire, which is God's love, 
It's to give us the strength to be able to handle life and what life brings our way. Whether it's persecution from living for Him, whether it's sickness, whether it's just, just the things, issues that life brings our ways. We, people should be seeing hope and love and knowing that God's going to protect us and see us through it. But, he, but if you look at statistics, I don't think he's seeing, people are seeing that in believers today. Why? Because I think some of those that are clinically depressed, that are saying they've had severe mental health problems in the past year, are some Christians maybe even sitting in this room today. That we're still struggling with some of the same things. Why? Because we're not really convinced in God's love for us. That maybe we're confused and we're expecting life to be easy. Life is not always easy. Very some, he, he told us that, right? He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take courage. I've overcome whatever trouble you're going to face. So we must truly receive this greatest gift ourselves, the love of God. But then we must allow God to share this, to allow this gift of love to make a difference in our lives. Look at verse 4. He says, love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. And we say time and time again, amen. That's a great passage, isn't it? I love love. Love is awesome. Well, is it? Are we really living it? Is, it? is this love really making a difference in our lives? And this is where I've been stuck for last month is, Bob, is God's love really making that difference in your life? Are you really living? Because look what he says. Love is not self-seeking. It's living for other people, not just ourselves. But think of what controls your thoughts. Think of what you think about the most. Is not self probably right up there? If not, or... And are we being available to other people? It's not self-seeking. It's not proud or puffed up. Man, I'm going to tell you what. <laughs> we get killed by this passage of Scripture every football season. Man, we were all puffed up today. I was puffed up, and then I, uh, I forgot what I was preaching on. Because I got out there, and, and sure enough, Mr. Chastain began to tell me the woes that we're, I'm going to be experiencing New Year's Day when Texas plays Georgia. And what I do, man, I puffed up. I said, this church better hope Texas doesn't win. Because if it does, y'all ain't going to see. You're going to think Brian's shoes are a walk in the park in a pair of the Texas paraphernalia I'm going to wear. Because they are. But that's what, and see, we laugh at that. You know, or it's not easily angered. Man, I'm going to tell you what. There is nothing that gives us more joy than to see our best buds football team get demolished. Right? And we laugh at that, and in some ways, it's kind of funny, but is it really? Because whenever I'm doing those things, and I'm saying those things, and I'm thinking those things, God's love is not manifest in me, is it? Because if it is, it's not going to be self-seeking. It's not going to be proud. It's not going to be easily angered. Man, I'm going to tell you what, we burn Twitter up when things don't go our way. When somebody doesn't act the exact way that we think that they ought to act, man, I'm going to tell you what. We're on it, and I, you, man, gosh, God convicts me so much. Man, I was sitting at a light. There was nobody around, and I'm like, why in the, who in the world did not make all the lights, especially on Dawson Street, be just censored 
Oh, you roll up on it? Okay, next in line, go on. But they're like, they take forever, and nobody's coming. And nobody's coming, and I'm going to tell you what, I just could, I was like, and I thought this this week. Man, I'm telling you, I have not come to grips with this passage of Scripture, but I'm just going to be honest. I thought that this week, man, I wish I could find out who I could write. Surely there's got to be one person that they just don't know. They don't know the lights are messed up. They don't know that you're sitting there for what seems like forever, but it's really probably only 30 or 40 seconds. You know, it's like I could just write them and they would just come down here. Oh, yes, Mr. Miller, we'll be right on that and come down here and make them all better. But why? Because because in that moment, I'm self-seeking. I want what's best for me. And here's the rub that I see in all of this. Is these are things that are white sins. You know what I'm saying? They're not, I'm not murdering. Well, yeah, but the Bible says don't even be angry. You know, I'm not committing adultery. Well, it says, you know what I'm saying? These are the ones that people notice in your cubicle next to you. How you handle life. You know, are you griping all the time? You're probably easily angered. Maybe self-seeking, you know. Are you wanting people to see your accomplishments? You went on a great trip, blowing Twitter and Instagram all up. Y'all look at where I'm at, you know. And I'm not saying that's why we do that, but if we are, it all proves to us that we've not really come to grips with the greatest gift that's ever been given us, and that's God's love for us. Why? Because love is patient. It's kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, and it's not easily angered, and it keeps no records of wrong. But not only that, we should also be seeing God freely sharing this greatest gift with everyone. Patience. What do y'all think about when you think when you think of love patience? Your kids. Reactive patience. See, I kind of define patience in two ways. It's proactive and reactive, right? You know, when someone does something that you don't really like, you know, like your kids, you know, we'll, our kids, when they do something that we don't like, you know, we have to choose to be patient, right? Well, what I want to do, what, you know, sweet little baby Mary Catherine, God bless her, she has learned life's issues. She was at the house, and she thinks that she can just get whatever she wants, you know? So she'd go in the cap, and so we've learned in the pantry that everything has to be this high, you know, above her head, because she'll reach it and bring it all out. And if you tell her no, man, the other day we told her no, and she just laid out on the floor. I mean, just flat out on her back. Oh, I mean, she was getting after it. And and um, and what I wanted to do, and what I told my son-in-law was, is Keith, if you have a problem seeing me spank your daughter, you probably need to leave the room. But they got with her and got her heart right, and, you know, and Cecily basically told her to suck it up and get a new attitude, and next thing you know, she dried it up and reset herself and went on about her business for 10 more minutes and then had another one, you know. But, but we have to choose to be patient. Why? Because we know she's a small child, right? But, in, but, but patience is also selective. Well, I'll choose when I want to be patient, you know, and it's funny I don't want to be patient when I'm in the truck by myself and I'm stuck at one of those lights. 
Or I don't want to be patient if I think someone doesn't deserve me being patient. You know, but isn't it funny, if in 1 Corinthians he said that God, that one day that we will know as we are fully known. And this is what's so amazing about God's love in this passage of scripture is, is he knows everything about you. Everything. He probably knows more about you, I'll say probably, he knows more about you than you even know about you. But yet what? He still gave you that kind of love. He gave you the greatest gift. And so, so our patience is choosing to be patient. It's, it is a reactive patience when someone does something that is not right. We have to, what do we want to do? We want to beat them up, but we need to be patient with them. Why? Because we're that same way. Right? Man, I learned patience at Caleb's wedding when I had my mom and my stepmom. And I love them both. They're two great women, but I'm going to tell you what, you know, that, you know, there's, they can only be together so long, you know, and, 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 you know, you, you have to learn that patience. But, but it's also proactive. That I, if I'm walking in it, living in the greatest gift that God's ever given me, that I'm going to be looking for opportunities for God to show patience through me. Why? Because you know what? I know Bill, even though he's a good old boy, I know Bill's human. And Bill's going to make mistakes. You know? And I need to be eager to be patient and allow God to work in Bill and to draw Bill and to grow Bill. Just like I want Bill to be patience with me, patient with me because I do make a lot of mistakes. Every day I make a lot of mistakes. And I want peace, people to be patient with me and I need to choose to be patient with them. But also kind. And that word kind literally means mercy. That we should be showing mercy. And I believe it's still again. It's proactive and it's reactive. When someone does something to you that you know they know how to do. Your kids do it all the time. You know, I, I, hey, be married. You want to want, you want, you I, I haven't desired mercy more than since I've been married. Why? Because I make mistakes all the time. Why? Because I get self-seeking. And I, and I, but I want that mercy, and so I need to choose to give that mercy as freely as I want to get that mercy, realizing that humanity is terribly frail. You know, you know truthfully, part of me wants to lay down on the ground sometimes and throw a fit just like Mary Catherine. I just want to fall out and let it all out and just not running down my face and just pitch a big old fit. In my heart, I want to do that, but I know you really can't do that. It's, it would be frowned upon. You know what I mean? I'd be part of that mental health group, you know? Um, but I, I, want, I want people to show me that mercy. We are prone to mess up. But so often, we take everybody else's mess-ups to social media. You're not going to believe what I saw, or I can't believe someone did this, or why did they do that? You know what I mean? Instead of choosing to freely give mercy. But the last thing, too, is to be forgetful. Choosing to not keep that ledger. Man, that was a hard one, isn't it? Keeps no record of wrongs. You know, I, I remember I used to watch that show Reba, and she'd say, Brock, you done me wrong. You know what I mean? And, and, and we want to remember that. We want to remember all of the wrongs that people have done us. We want to keep that ledger. But the sad thing about keeping a ledger is our list could be so much longer. You know, 
man, I'm going to tell you what, I'm not going to keep a ledger with my wife because I guarantee you her list for me is going to be a lot longer than my list for her. You know, but we should seek to be reconciled. Listen to Romans chapter 12. He says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. See, we should be eager to live in peace with everyone. You know, Jesus sums this message up in his prayer in John 17, beginning in verse 13. He says, now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world, so they will be filled with my joy. I've given them your word, and the, word hates th- and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. See, it's time for God's people, as we receive the greatest gift that's ever been given, the gift of Christmas, we need to grow up and to start acting like new believers. 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. See, when we choose to pick up things like envy and jealousy and anger and boasting and pride, we're choosing childish things, things that as new creations we should have outgrown. So let's strive for something much better. Let's live the true meaning of Christmas all year long. Uh, I really enjoy the movie uh, Fred Claus. I don't know why it is, but there are certain parts of that movie that have such deep spiritual overtones to me. It just, I, 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 I mean, I, 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 it's not the perfect movie, but there's a few things in there that really point to Jesus. And and Vince Vaughn says this. See, Vince Vaughn is Fred Claus, the brother of Nicholas Claus, of, of Santa Claus. And he's always lived in his brother's shadow. And so he's wanting to borrow money from his brother. And so his brother says, well, then you come up to the North Pole and I'll put you to work and you can earn the money. And so his job was to go through the naughty and nice list. And as, as he was guided to, you know, stamp naughty or nice on them. And so... He decides to stamp all of them nice. His brother gets in trouble, and he can't 
fill all the gifts and all that kind of stuff, and Vince Vaughn comes back, and they have a little tussle, and Santa Claus gets his back hurt, and now he can't deliver gifts at Christmas, and he can't deliver Christmas, Christmas, and they're going to close down Christmas. But Vince Vaughn says this. He said, he said, Nick, I never understood the naughty and nice list. He says, everyone deserves a gift at Christmas. Everyone deserves to know someone is thinking about them. And I started thinking, you know what? That's true. Everyone deserves the true gift of Christmas, which is Jesus Christ. Everyone deserves to know that God is thinking about them. And God has packaged Christmas in the hearts of his believers. And he's asking us to truly to receive that gift and to live that gift out in front of a waiting and wanting world. I encourage you, read 1 Corinthians 13. Read it slowly. Ask God to really reveal to you about the depths and dimensions of his love of being patient and kind and gentle. And as we really receive that gift and allow that gift to mold us and to change us, we will bring Christmas to a wanting world. Man, everyone, everyone deserves, needs the gift of Christmas. Do they not? Not just the ones we think, but every one of them. Why? Because they are God's creation, and God has placed a longing for Christmas in their hearts. Let's pray. God, I do believe with all of my heart that everyone deserves the opportunity to respond to the greatest gift that ever could be given to them, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And God, I am so thankful for many of us that are in this room today, God, we received that gift from you freely, abundantly, in spite of who we are, God, that we came to understand that you love us and provided a way for us to live in a love relationship with you. And God, there is a world around us. Our country, Father, is filled with a growing population of people that have not had an opportunity to respond to you, that have maybe not seen a proper example of what the greatest gift is, a relationship with you. And God, that you want your people to live in such a close relationship with you that you reveal your love to others to let them know that you are thinking about them, that you do have plans for them, that you do desire for no one to perish, but everyone to come to a loving relationship with you. And God, that so often we are distracted and we're not focused on your love and we're not able to allow you to show your love to others. So God, in our time of invitation, as Rhonda leads, as June plays, Father, whatever decision you place upon our hearts, God, I pray that we would move. Maybe it is a time to come to the altar and to confess that we've not really been living the gift of Christmas. And God, that we've been distracted and that you're drawing and acknowledging that you're drawing us back to you. Father, maybe someone in this room needs to receive the gift of Christmas for the very first time. 
that has come to understand today that you do love them, that you are thinking about them, that you have provided a way for them. So God, wherever we are, whatever decision you place before us, as we stand, as Rhonda leads us, God, may we move. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.